0: Welcome back to the Vine Church Podcast. Today, we are continuing our sermon series, Seeing Jesus, exploring the first nine chapters of Luke's Gospel. If you haven't already, you can find us on YouTube at Divine Church Heart, and we'd love to have you join us over there. Uh, if you have a Bible, please do uh, open it to Luke chapter 5 um, and, and keep it open there, whether it's on your phone or a, a, a paper, a real Bible, just uh, keep it open at Luke 5. Um, we're going to just basically walk through the passage together uh, this morning as we come to Jesus, because that's what we're doing as we come to his word, especially as we come to the Gospels, we are coming face to face with Jesus to be challenged by him, to be blessed by him, to be commissioned by him. So let's pray as we get into God's word. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are not on mute. But Lord, you speak to us through what you have spoken in your word. And Lord, by your Holy Spirit, you bring these things to bear on our hearts. They don't just remain Bare facts, Lord, but they become life to us. Lord, for all of us who know you, we ask that you would fill us with your spirit so that we may receive from this. Lord, for anyone listening who does not know you, Lord, we pray that you would present yourself to them this morning in this passage. May we see the true Jesus. May we be floored by him. May we be blessed by him. That's our prayer, Lord. Please do this for us. Amen. So, Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11 says this. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat." When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and they filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats back to land, they left everything and followed him. It's quite an amazing story, really, an amazing miracle. Um, It's a huge catch of fish that comes in. I just want us to work through this passage and see what Jesus is doing here and what he is saying to us through it. Now, the first thing we see is that unlike what we saw last week with what Andy was preaching on, where the crowds were asking Jesus to stay and they wanted him to heal them and and do this and that for them. And he said, no, I must depart. I'm going away. Here we see the crowd is pressing in on him to hear the word of God. That's what they want as they come to Jesus. We press on him to hear the word of God. That's their cry. Let that be our desire as we come to press in on Jesus. Let's not come to him for what he can give us, for the benefits that may be in him. He does have the power to heal. He does have the power to change the things that happen in our life. But let's not prize the gifts in place of the giver. The supreme value and beauty in Jesus is in Jesus, not in what he can do. And so they're pressing in on him to hear from him, to hear the word of God. The one who, very, who is the very word of God. So let's press in on him. And he's standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats. And so he gets in them. Now this is, uh, for us, this might sound quite odd that he wants to preach from a boat at the shore because surely the waves would be lapping and it would be loud and it will be able to hear him talking to the beach. But just to give some kind of geographical context, the way that the Sea of Galilee, the, the Lake of Gennesaret is, is shaped, there's kind of a, uh, it, it goes, it has a wonderful shape which basically makes it a natural amphitheater. As Jesus sits in the boat, it would be like sitting in a very um, well-built stage with good acoustics. So he's sitting in the prime position for people to hear him. He sits down in the boat. Now we don't actually hear what Jesus's sermon is. All it says is, and he taught the people from the boat. So we're not told what it is. But what we are told is when he had finished speaking, he turns to Simon and he just says, put out into the deep. Now, sometimes we are so familiar, if you do indeed know this story, with the miracle that we kind of miss the disconnect here. Well, not disconnect, but how it just moves on. Is Jesus sitting there going, well, I've finished speaking now, may as well do a miracle? Or is there a kind of an organic connection that moves from speaking and teaching to then into this miracle? And actually, a thing that you find through the whole all the Gospels, is that Jesus never does miracles just to show off. He doesn't say something amazing that has everyone wowing and go, and look what else I can do. Jesus uses his miracles to make a point. I mean, I'm sure everyone who's heard sermons before is familiar with the concept of a sermon illustration where we tend to draw the most uh, abstract analogies and go, it's just like this. And people go, "Uh yeah, yeah, see it. I kind of see it. Well, Jesus here is moving into a sermon illustration, except he has the power to do uh, miracles for his sermon illustrations, unlike me. But we don't know what the purpose of this illustration is yet. So let's work through the passage and see what happens. All we see is that he uh, tells these fishermen who have been washing their nets to to put their nets into the sea, Now, a few things worth noting here is that uh, for one, we see the fishermen washing their nets, which is significant, because if you didn't wash your nets, they would break. And if a fisherman in the ancient world broke their net, that was probably them out of business. Nets were incredibly expensive. They are, uh, today, obviously, everything is mass-produced, and we have materials like plastic. So a lot of these things for us are, if something breaks, we just grab another few pennies. In the ancient world, obviously, everything is handmade. It's not only materially expensive, but it's expensive in time. And so if you had a net, it was probably inherited, or you borrowed a lot of money to get it. If a fisherman broke their net, that was probably them out of business unless they were particularly minted. Now here they are, washing their nets. In the day, because you only catch fish at night, in Galilee the sea is... That the, the sun is so hot in the day that the fish swims to the bottom of the lake in the daytime, and so they fish at night when the fish are close to the surface. So this is the ideal time to be washing the nets, selling the fish, doing the things which aren't fishing but that fishermen need to do. When Jesus, the rabbi, the carpenter, turns to this expert fisherman and says, put your nets down for a catch. At this point, Peter probably feels as though he is a granny being told to suck eggs. I'm the one who knows how to fish. If you want to come and talk to me about teaching God's word, then that's fantastic. If you want to come and teach me how to use a jigsaw and sand down some wood, that's fine. I trust you in that department. Fishing, however, is my department. I wonder how often we can feel like that sometimes as we think about applying our Christian faith to whatever we do in life. When we come to the Bible, we recognize God's lordship over us. But when it comes to what we do for a job, for instance, or our hobbies, God doesn't necessarily need to come into that conversation. I know what I'm doing here. And actually, I think one of the things that we're being told in this passage is, prepare for Jesus to give you lessons in the things that you think you're an expert on. It might sound wrong. Peter is hearing, I'm not putting this delicate net down in the day, but Jesus says it, and Jesus says it for a reason. And so in the same way, we have to be prepared for Jesus to speak to us, even on the things that we think we're very comfortable on. Not only that, Jesus tells him to do something which was potentially dangerous. It's not just uh, a place where Peter could rightly be arrogant. I'm the expert here, not you. But also, this is potentially Peter's livelihood on the line. If this net breaks, putting it into the sea, fish might not come into it, but something else might. If it breaks, that's that's me out of a job. This is risky for Peter. He doesn't want to do it, both for the pride and for the danger. And yet his response is, master, we toiled all night and took nothing. We went out at the ideal time and found nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. Because you have said it to me, I will let down the nets. I will put that risk to my livelihood, to my pride in front of all these people putting my net in in the middle of the day, I'll do it. Now, I think often Peter tends to be the model how not to be a Christian in the Gospels. I mean, in that story that Lauren told earlier, we just get the classic, um, it's called, I've seen commentaries where they talk about the peach overreaction, the you will all leave me. I will never leave you. I'll go to jail for you. I'll die for you. A few hours later, Jesus, I don't know Jesus. Peter tends to be, uh, if if you've watched Blackadder, he tends to be the Baldric of the Gospels. The one who's, well, you know what I mean, just a bit not quite all there. You think, come on, Peter, use your brain. But here, I think there's a huge challenge for us because here, Peter is presented as the Christian par excellence. Lord, I went out at the ideal time and I took Nothing. Lord, if I do what you say, I'm risking everything that sustains me. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. If you say it, I will do it. How do you respond to that challenge? That Jesus may give you a command to do something which is uncomfortable, I think one of, the thing, one of the reasons why I love coming back to the Gospels is that as adults, uh, we tend to nuance our way out of every situation, out of every um, hole we find ourselves in. As a kid, everything is quite black and white. If someone says that's wrong, then it's wrong in every situation. Whereas adults, we go, well, maybe it's this, maybe it's that, and we find a way to nuance ourselves out of every situation take covid for instance all these people breaking the rules hang on a second didn't you break the rules the other day yeah but uh, there's no risk for me when we come to jesus in the gospels he often speaks bluntly to us and we either have to turn to it and say yes i will obey you or we say "Oh, i probably doesn't mean that he's probably being a bit too black and white but jesus comes to us and he says put down the nets how do we respond Now, of course, when he does this, Jesus' command, Peter's obedience is vindicated because rather than catching nothing, as they might have expected, instead they enclosed a large number of fish. Not just a large number of fish because one boat could take a large number of fish. Instead, their nets are beginning to break now and they're signaling to their partners, come, come help us, we've got too many fish for us to take on our own. Now, you can imagine that the partners weren't exactly there on the sea catching fish themselves because, again, it's daytime. So they're probably now scrambling into their boats, all getting in at once. Come on, come on, help us, help us. What are you doing? What are you doing out at the moment? What, there's this huge number of fish. And so they all begin pulling in these nets, overflowing with fish. And they filled their boats so that they began to sink. That's how many fish Jesus brings in at the least opportune time, in the most risky way for these fishermen. And how does Peter uh, respond to this revelation of who Jesus is, to the power that he has? He doesn't come and say, oh Lord, please give me more stuff. If you've given me this many fish, please multiply my wallet as well. Instead... He falls at his knees before Jesus. He realizes who Jesus is. He realizes how powerful Jesus is. He realizes this man is God. And so in the same way that when Isaiah, in the the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, he sees God in the throne room and he doesn't say, how wonderful to see God. He says, woe is me, For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. In the same way, Peter comes before Jesus and he says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. When we see who Jesus really is, it's like a mirror. And it reflects how awful how, how small in comparison, how unholy we are. It doesn't cause a jolly reaction when people realize God's holiness and power in the Bible. It causes fear. Depart from me, I am a man of unclean lips, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. If you don't yet know Jesus, then come on your knees before him. Realize his holiness and his power. See him in his majesty. And like Peter, say, depart from me. Because that is not the end of the story. See, if this was just a miracle about how powerful Jesus is, then we could end it there. But this wasn't a miracle simply for the sake of a miracle. This is an illustration. Now, actions are ambiguous. An action can be interpreted in many, many ways. When I was young, I had a book called Don't Judge a Book By Its Cover. And on the the cover was a man grabbing a woman's handbag. And it clearly looked like he was trying to mug her. He was trying to steal it from her. But then the, the front cover flapped open And you see that there's a lorry coming and he's trying to pull her off the road. Now, in the same way, that action was ambiguous. Until you know what he's doing, what he's intending, it could be taken many ways. And so words or explanations clarify actions. Until Jesus tells us why he's done this miracle, we don't know what the meaning is. Perhaps he's walking along at the market in the morning and thinking, where are all the good fish? I'm going to have to miraculously get some good fish out of the sea so he can have his breakfast. Perhaps he's going, Peter and those other fishermen are struggling a little bit. Maybe I'll give them a huge catch of fish to help their businesses. Maybe he just fancies showing off. Well, let's hear what Jesus says as Peter is here trembling at his feet on his knees. Jesus explains why he's done this. Jesus says to Simon Peter, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. In other words, in the same way that you've just seen what I have done, as I preach the word, as the crowd press in on me to hear the word of God, and I respond by preaching the word of God to them in the same way, you are to be fishers of men in the same way that we've just seen this miraculous catch coming in. And so we now know what the miracle was for. Jesus is teaching us to evangelize, to spread the gospel, to bring people into the kingdom. And that forces us to go back, look at the miracle again, and see what Jesus is doing. And when we do that, we find some quite um, encouraging, mind-blowing, challenging things about this task of evangelism. The first thing we see is that they are there striving in their own strength at night, catching nothing. We've been out. We've been trying. We've done it. There's nothing. If we try to bring people into the kingdom in our own strength, if you try to enter the kingdom in your own strength, it will avail to nothing. You will be exhausted the next morning washing your nets. But instead, when Jesus comes and says, do what I say, Even at the most unopportune time, even when you think that you have a better idea, we'll wait till the next night. If Jesus says it, we do it. When Jesus comes, the fish come in. But that also tells us something about Jesus' role in our evangelism. Do we have this view that Jesus is kind of the absent God? He used to be bringing people in, but now he's gone to heaven and leaves it to us. How about this? The fish only come in because they are Jesus's fish. He is the Lord of the catch. In John 10, Jesus tells us that he is the good shepherd. He says, my sheep hear my voice and they come to me. And I have sheep in other pastures that I will bring in here. Jesus is the one who does the gathering. Jesus is the one who brings these fish into the net. They are his fish going at his command. The kingdom is not filled with people who have been persuaded in. The kingdom is full of people who have been brought in by the Holy Spirit because Jesus is Lord of the catch. What a weight off our shoulders that is. What a weight off our shoulders it is to know that people coming to Christ is not dependent on me being a good arguer, on me being a good defender of the faith, on me having the right tract. People come into the kingdom because Jesus is Lord of the catch. But Jesus didn't turn to Peter and say, "Ah, don't worry about it, let me do it. He said, put down the net. He brings the fish in, but it doesn't take away Peter's responsibility. We are told to go, even though Jesus is Lord of the catch. The next thing we see is this. There aren't a couple of fish that come in. There isn't a normal amount of fish. There is such a large number that the nets begin to break and the boats begin to sink. What's our view of Jesus' intention for his kingdom? That 99% of this world is condemned, but there's a small huddle that get to have salvation. How about this? Jesus teaches us, that that the catch is so big that he intends to bring in that the nets are breaking and the boats are sinking. There is an abundance of fish to come in. Jesus intends to save more than we can ask or imagine. The boats will be filled. The nets will be breaking. The kingdom will be full. That's a hope. That's a real hope for us. Every time we even think about putting down the nets. Many, many fish. That's how many God intends to bring in. And then having declared to them that there's this huge catch to come, we then see that they're saying, we can't do this on our own. They signal to their partners, come and help us, come and help us. One boat isn't enough. In other words, mission is not the goal of a single evangelist or even a single church. The mission is not, we want plenty of people in the vine church. The mission is, we want plenty of people in the church. Sometimes that means signaling to the other boats, come help us, come help us. Now that doesn't mean that we prize unity with uh, other churches to the degree that everyone who looks a bit like a church is a church. If there was a pirate ship on the waters, they wouldn't be going, you come and help as well. Now we want to we want to unite with gospel central churches, with churches that want to see the kingdom proclaimed. Those people are our brothers and sisters. This is not our boat to catch; it is the Lord's, and they're, they're not our fish. They are His. He is Lord of the catch, and so we signal to others: help us. We work in unity. And so with all these elements coming together, we get quite a well-rounded view of what it means to be fishers of men. To be people who want to see lives transformed, lives changed. To know that the responsibility is not on us, but it is on the Lord, the one who intends to bring hundreds of thousands of people to come and know him. Now this doesn't mean that every time we try an initiative, that we try another alpha course, or we want to get evangelism going, that it's just going to work. Jesus is Lord of the catch. Sometimes it will feel like we're just on the shore washing our nets. Sometimes we're doing what the disciples are doing and saying, we're waiting for the opportune time, i.e. tonight, And actually, Jesus is telling us to go now. I'm not saying that there is going to be this one day in the next few weeks that suddenly we'll do something different and there'll be a thousand members in our church. What I am saying is the work of um, evangelism, the work of conversion, the work of bringing people to know Christ is not ours to do. It is the Lord's and he calls us to simply put the nets down. To be led by the Spirit, to hear his voice, to react as Peter did when he was commissioned. Now, the question for us is, have we received the same command as Peter? Yes. Before Jesus ascends into heaven, he says, Go, therefore, disciple the nations. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. We all have received our marching orders. Now, there are two options. Either we say, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, and I think we know a little bit more about fishing than you do, so we're going to wait till tonight. Or we say, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. We're exhausted, we're tired, it's not working. But at your word, I will let down the nets. This job is not for us to do, it's for us to be obedient to the one who is doing it. This is a quote from John Calvin, which I find so challenging. But as Peter yielded so readily to the command of Christ, whom he did not yet know to be a prophet or the son of God, no apology can be offered for our disgraceful conduct if while we call him our Lord and King and Judge, we do not move a finger to perform our duty to which we have ten times received his commandments. Peter didn't know who he was saying Master, at your word, too. We, as Christians, if you are indeed a Christian, are those who call Jesus Lord, Master, Judge, King. We've received our commands. How do we respond? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are Lord of the catch. Lord, we thank you that these boats are yours, the fish are yours, the disciples that you have commissioned are yours. And Lord, as we see you for who, we, for who you truly are, as we come and kneel at your feet, trembling, saying, depart from me. Instead, you greet us with a commission. You get us up off our feet, Lord. You dust us off and you say, you're now mine. Listen to what I tell you. Lord, give us the courage to say at your word, I will put down the nets. Lord, give us the resolve to keep putting down the nets. Lord, give us the passion to risk those things which make us comfortable in the same way that Peter could have lost his job if that net broke. Lord, give us the passion to sacrifice our own comfort for the sake of obedience to you. And Lord, more than anything, we pray by your Holy Spirit, bring the fish into the nets Build your kingdom, Lord. Grow your kingdom. May we see your power come to bear in this world. As you yourself teach us to pray, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is our prayer. And so we pray to the one who answers prayer. Amen.